Well, if you have a Bible, please turn back with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. And uh, can I direct your attention this morning to verses 6, 7, and 8 in particular. Psalm 40, 6, 7, and 8. It says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Well, for those of you who haven't been here over the past uh, few weeks, we've been looking at the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's been our theme. Our theme has been focused upon the Lord Jesus himself and We have to say, don't we, it's a great theme. It's a glorious theme. It's an inexhaustible theme. We've been attempting to consider Christ, as it were, to look at him from different angles, different perspectives. Just to remind you of what we've covered so far, we've looked at the deity of Christ, that Christ is fully God. We looked at the humanity of Christ, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We thought of the sinlessness of Christ, that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. And we thought of next of the substitution of Christ, that Christ has died for us, he stood in our place, not just for us, but actually in our place. And then we moved on to to think about the imputation of Christ. Remember those wonderful words in Corinthians that he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then last time, we were thinking about the peace of Christ, that our saviour is our peace. And we thought of all the different directions that we now have peace through our saviour. Well, this morning, I want us to look at another aspect of our saviour's work. And our subject this morning is the servanthood of Christ. The servanthood of of Christ. When you begin uh, to look at the Saviour as he trod uh, this cursed world, as he performed his miracles, as he spoke and as he taught the people, you begin to see that Christ's life was a life of constant servitude. Christ was a servant, wasn't he? He even stated this himself in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 20, verse 28. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And Paul tells us, remember that wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 2, where he's describing the condescension of Christ. He says that Christ, he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And the word that Paul uses there in Philippians 2, that word servant, it means to be a slave, it means to be a bondservant. It was the lowest position in society. It was a word that speaks of hard work and humility. And Paul says to us there, Christ became a servant. And the passage that we read from earlier in John chapter 13, we see this so clearly displayed, don't we? The servant heart of Christ. It's so strikingly illustrated. As Jesus takes a towel and he girds himself and he goes and he washes the disciples' feet. But of course, the interesting thing about that passage is not so much that Jesus did it, which in, that is interesting in and of itself. 
That Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, that he should gird a towel and wash the disciples' feet. The interesting thing is that he then says afterwards, he says, if I then be your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, look, if I am the eternal Son of God, the sinless Son of God, if I have done this, shouldn't you? And Jesus goes on to say in verse 15 of of that chapter in John, he says, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. We're to follow our master. We are to be servants. And, And friends this morning here as believers in Jesus Christ, we are now servants of God's. We were once servants and slaves of sin, weren't we? We were once under Satan's mastery. But we've now been called into a life of service to our heavenly master. And we're to have the same servant's heart that Jesus Christ had when he was here on earth. But the question that I want to answer this morning, the question I want us to think about this morning is if if Christ was a servant and we are to follow his example, what kind of a servant was Jesus Christ? What kind of a servant was our saviour? And to answer that question, I want us to look at these verses here in Psalm 40 with you. And I want us to notice uh, three things about the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we notice from these verses is that Christ was a willing servant. Now, I said earlier when uh, we read this psalm that these are the words of Christ, particularly verses 6 and following. The book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 5 to 7 tells us very specifically, Christ is the one who is speaking these words. He is the one who is is giving us these words here in verses 6 and following. And the language that he uses here is the language of a servant. Just look with me at verse 6 there. You see in the middle of this verse it says, Mine ears hast thou opened. Now if you have a Bible, turn back with me to Exodus chapter 21. Because Exodus 21 provides us with the answer as to what that expression means. Exodus chapter 21, here in this uh, particular uh, passage, verses 1 through to 6, we have various directions concerning servants under the law. The servant was to be released, we're told. They were to serve six years. In the seventh year, they were to be released But if the servant didn't want to be released, they could stay on as a servant. And it says that if you get Exodus 21 verse 5, it says, If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. And then it says this in verse 6, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. And so the servant who didn't wish to be released in that seventh year, who wished to remain a servant because he loved his master and he loved his wife and he loved his children, they would take an instrument and they would put a hole through the ear of the servants. And this boring a hole in the ear was a permanent mark. It was to show that the servant belonged to his master, that he was set aside for the purpose of serving him, that he was pledging himself to his master. He was saying, in effect, I will now serve my master all the days of my life because I love him. 
And back here in Psalm 40, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Mine ears hast thou opened. It's the same, it's the same picture that's being drawn here. He's borrowing the language of Exodus chapter 21, and he's saying, in effect, I've pledged myself to God. I've pledged myself to my heavenly master. I vow to serve him and follow him and obey him all the days of my life. So here we see in in verse 6 here the willingness of Christ to be God's servants. But we also see it displayed there in verse 7, the opening words of verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. And here Jesus is speaking about when he came into the world. He says, lo, that, that word there means to look or gaze. He's saying, behold, have a look at me. The great task that I've been set to do by my father, I'm coming to do it. And this phrase again shows to us, doesn't it, his absolute willingness to come. You see, Christ did not put up any kind of resistance to the will of his Father. He didn't make any excuses why he couldn't do it. He didn't uh, didn't agree to to perform only part of the work. He didn't agree to to perform just, just an aspect of it. Well, I'll come for a time, but then I'll leave. No, he says, lo, I come. I've come to, to fulfill it. You remember how Moses, he was asked to give a task. You remember how God spoke to him in Exodus. And Moses comes up with all kinds of excuses, doesn't he? I'm not eloquent. I couldn't possibly do this task. You remember what he said? He said, they won't believe me. They won't hearken to my voice, Lord. And, and God has to keep reminding him, no, look, I'm the one who's made your mouth, uh, Moses. But Jesus doesn't make any excuses. He says, lo, I come. I've come to do what you've, you've determined for me to do. Here is the language of a, a willing heart. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Back in that passage in Exodus 21, you can hear the Savior's voice, can't you? The words, the words in verse 5 there. I love my master, my wife and my children. I will not go out free. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Psalm 40. I come, I come as a willing servant. And friends, what an example that is to us as the servants of God. What an example to us in our service. Let me ask you this morning, are you a willing servant of God? When Christ, for example, commands us to go ye into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, do we do it willingly? Or would we rather hide we like to hide in our churches don't we we like to hide in our homes we we like the safety we like to bunk down in our cozy community here within these four walls it's a good way to ensure isn't it we don't receive any hostility from people but it isn't what we're commanded to do is it we're commanded to go do we do it willingly do we do it with the same servant's heart that jesus had when we, when we bunk down within our, our churches, it's the attitude of the unprofitable servant, isn't it? No, rather we're to be willing servants. Like Isaiah, remember how Isaiah was spoken to in Isaiah chapter 6, and the Lord called him. And remember what the, what the Lord said, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God sends out this, this plea, this invitation, and Isaiah responds immediately and he says, here am I, send me. Friends, are we willing servants of our heavenly master? 
But there's something else that we could add here from these words in Psalm 40. Not only was Christ a willing servant, but he was also an obedient servant. An obedient servant. A servant can be full of energy, can't they, and enthusiasm, and they can be very willing. But they might not always be obedient. You could say the same about children, couldn't you? They can have lots of enthusiasm, but they're not always obedient to what you ask them to do. But Christ was not only a willing servant, but he was an obedient servant. Again, look at the words of verse 7 there. He says, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. Now to explain what Jesus is saying here, we perhaps have to back up into the previous verse where it tells us that sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. It says, burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. And the point that's being made is that all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were actually useless, weren't they? They were useless in in purging away sin. They were utterly insufficient to make true atonement for the people. They had to be offered, didn't they, over and over and over again. And they were proving all the time that they were inadequate to deal with the people's iniquity. Instead, they they were all pointing, weren't they? They were all pointing towards a greater sacrifice. One that would deal with sin. One that would be sufficient and adequate and perfect and complete. It was not going to be the offering up of a lamb upon an altar but it was going to be the offering up of the Lamb of God upon a cross. And when Jesus uses this expression here, in the volume of the book it is written of me, he's speaking of the Scriptures. And he's saying that the Bible was all pointing towards him. The sacrifices were all pointing towards him. Everything was telling the people exactly what the task of this servant was going to be. Jesus is saying it was all laid out in the Bible. You want to know what Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to do. It's all laid out here. And what was his task? Well, it was to provide salvation, wasn't it? It was to to redeem his people. It was to provide a way for his people to be forgiven for all their sins and to be cleansed and to be pardoned. That was the great task that, that Christ came to do. It was a task that was planned before the very foundation of the world. In eternity past, the Father and the Son, they agreed that the Father would send the Son into this world and the Son would come and he would fulfill all these types and shadows and that he would go to the cross and he would die in his people's place. It was all planned. And the Son is saying here in verse 7, all the promises of the Old Testament, I'll fulfill them. I'll be obedient. You think about some of the promises, Genesis 3.15, Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill it, I'll bruise the serpent's heads. Or you could think of the promise in Genesis 22, he says, I'm going to fulfill that, I will be the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will fulfill Deuteronomy 18.18, I'll be the great prophet that comes and teaches the people. I will fulfill, you think, Genesis 14, 18. I will be the great priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who will provide atonement for my people. He was also going to fulfill Genesis 49, 10, wasn't he? And be the great king, the one that springs from Judah, from whom the scepter would not depart forever. And we could go through all of the Old Testament, one after promise after promise after promise. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm coming to fulfill it all. I'm going to be the obedient servant. 
You think of what the Lord says in Isaiah 42, verse 1. He declares concerning Christ, Behold my servants whom I uphold. Or you think about the words in Zechariah 3, 8. Behold, I will bring forth my servants, the branch. God's saying, look, I've got a servant who's coming. And Jesus says here, I'm coming to fulfill it all. Jesus is saying, I will be the obedient servant. And isn't this what we see all the way through his life? We see this obedience to his father. You go through every stage of Christ's life. And all you can see is him performing his father's will every step. You never once find a reluctant pause in the life of Christ. He never stops. He never gives up. He never complains. He's an obedient servant. When he was a 12-year-old boy in the temple, you remember how he rebuked his own mother. And he has to remind her that he must be about his father's business. In Nazareth, living in obscurity, he's the obedient servant. In his public ministry, he is the obedient servant. When he's performing miracles and teaching, he's the obedient servant. All the time he was proving that he is the one who had come to fulfill these things. You remember what some of the statements that Jesus said? He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In John 5 verse 30 he says, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which have sent me. John 6 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him, he says, that sent me. And friends, we have to say that this task of providing salvation, this will of the Father was a task that required strength, it required self-sacrifice, it required zeal, it required endurance. No ordinary person could have fulfilled this wonderful task. No mere human being could have performed what Christ performed, could they? And that's why Christ says there in verse 8 of Psalm 40, Thy law is within my heart. This is a wonderful expression. It's showing us that Christ is unique. He's the only one who could render the obedience that was required because the law of God was in his heart. If it was us, we would fail. If we had been given the task of providing salvation, we would, we would have failed. We would come short because we're sinners. But praise God, not Christ. The law was within his heart. It's a wonderful expression because it shows us that that Christ did not just have outward obedience, but inward obedience. He was inwardly always obeying the law of God. Now the boys and girls here, you you might understand what I mean when when I speak about this. You might do outward obedience to your parents. Your parents might say, please can you tidy your room? Please can you do your homework? Please could you put your shoes away or whatever it is? And you might do that task outwardly. But in your heart, you might be saying, I don't want to do this. I wish I didn't have to do this. And you might be getting very cross inside, but you're doing the task. But you see, when Jesus came into this world to be an obedient servant, he not only did the outward task, but in his heart there was pure, perfect obedience. And you think about that obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was no formal obedience, no cold obedience, no mere outward obedience. It was real, it was inwards. He loved God perfectly. And so even when the cross was reared in front of him, even when that scaffold stood before Christ, he pressed on obedient to his Father's will. 
He set his face, didn't he, as a flint to Jerusalem. And even in the agony of Gethsemane, you remember as the, the horrors of hell flashed on his inward mind, even as he sees all that he's going to have to endure, he prays, doesn't he, not my will, but thine be done. Christ was the obedient servant. Remember what Paul says, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Friends, this morning, here's a question for us. Are we obedient servants? Do we obey the commands of Scripture? Do we obey them inwardly as well as outwardly? Firstly, let me ask you this this morning, have you obeyed the first command, which is to repent? Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you've never done the very first thing that you need to do, which is to repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that you need to do. Have you been obedient to that command? Well, let me ask you, have you been baptised? We're told to repent and be baptised. If you're a child of God, then you'll want to follow this command. You want to show that outward sign that you now profess Christ, that you love Christ. Have you done that? And of course, we could go through many of the commands in Scripture and challenge ourselves. Have we been obedient to them? Have we been obedient inwardly as well as outwardly? Well, I trust that all of us would be obedient servants this morning. There's a final thing that we could add here from these verses, because we could also add here, not only is he a willing servant, Christ, not only was he an obedient servant, but he was a joyful servant. A joyful servant. Look at verse 8 with me. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I delight to do thy will. It was joyful for him. It was not grievous. It was not some hardship. He didn't have to sort of endure his way through this life. But it was joyful. It was a task that he got on with joyfully and delighting in. It was a a task that brought joy to his face. He's like, this is what I came to do. I came to provide salvation. And I'm willingly doing it. And I'm doing it obediently. But I'm doing it joyfully. He says, I came to call sinners to repentance. and, And I delight to do this. I delight to save sinners. And if you continue all the way down through the psalm, verses 9 and and 10 and following, you'll see something of this delight just oozes through. Verses 9 and 10, we read of the preaching of Christ. He says he didn't refrain his lips, but he declared God's faithfulness. He declared God's salvation. He didn't conceal the loving kindness and the truth of God's. But it was his delight to come into this world. It was his delight to live in poverty. It was even his delight to go to the cross. And again, friends, we have to ask ourselves this morning this question, don't we? As servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we serve him joyfully? Is it our delight to serve our heavenly master? Or is it just a duty? This morning as you've come to church, is it just something you always do on a Sunday? Is it just your duty? Or did you delight to come to the house of God? Is it your duty to read your Bible? Or is it your delight? We can think of so many parts of the Christian life. Is, Christ, is the Christian life drudgery to you? Do you feel like you're, you're just treading water and you're just doing something with no sort of delight and joy? Is it just toil? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he served his heavenly master delightfully with joy. 
And friends, it should be the same for us. It should be joyful to serve the Lord. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We're on our way to the heavenly city. There should be a smile on our faces as God's people. We serve the King, don't we? Serving Christ is the most joyful service imaginable. Remember what he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let me ask you this morning, do you delight in God's word, for example? Do you delight in God's day? Do you delight in God's people? Do you delight in, in God's way? As the servants of Christ, we should be servants of joy. What a challenge this should be to us. You know, when we're going to go out and deliver Christmas tracts over the next few weeks and it's the, the rain's coming down sideways and it's minus two, are we going to do it joyfully? We should do. Because we're in the master's service. When we're tired at the midweek meeting and, and the day of work's been hard and perhaps it's been one of those days where it's just been completely unsuccessful, do we come into God's house joyfully? Oh, we should do, shouldn't we? Christ delighted in doing his Father's will, and so should we. Now, we've seen something then of the servanthood of Christ and what a challenge this is to us as we seek to labour for our, our heavenly master. But let me just add one final thing very quickly, one final aspect. I said there was three things, but let me just add a fourth. Because Christ, as a servant, was a successful servant, wasn't he? He was a successful servant. And this is something that we just have to praise God for, don't we? Remember what he said in John chapter 17, verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And you think about the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There he is hanging between heaven and earth and he cries, it is finished. What a wonderful truth this is, friends, isn't it, this morning, that our salvation is not dependent upon our service to God, but it's entirely dependent upon Christ and his finished work. He served faithfully and he finished the great work of salvation and now we serve our Saviour out of love and out of devotion and out of praise because Christ, the perfect servant, finished the perfect work. Well, I trust that all of us here this morning are resting in this finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would press on in the work of God. Remember what Paul says, being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labour is not in vain. And may we, at the end of our lives, hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy lords.